You're listening to the Comic Crusaders Podcast. I am your host, Al Mega, CEO of Comic Crusaders and Undercover Capes. In this show, I'm sitting down with creators from all walks of life to talk about inspiration, process, the lessons they've learned, and a whole lot more. Wepa, what up, me gente? It's your boy, Al Mega in the building. Thank you for joining me today for another Comic Crusaders podcast. And today, folks, you know how we do in Comic Crusaders podcast. We really do talk to people that, you know, have gone to many different types of journeys, right? Today, let me tell you, you guys are going to be uberly impressed by the person I have on today. He is an author. He is a motivator. He is a coach. He's a purpose-driven impact maker that has a hell of a story. Let me talk to you about this, man. He got this awesome book out right now, all about personal finance, too, all right? I mean, he's over here trying to help us get educated to step into the world and just kick ass like he's been doing for several years. Wait till you dig into this story, folks, because it's pretty deep. I'm very honored to introduce the one, the only, the legend, Father Pasquale. Wepa, how you doing, kiddo? Hey, Al, man. I am fired up. I love the intro to your show, by the way, man. This is awesome. I'm, I'm happy you. to be here. Let's do something great. Absolutely doing things that are great, man, because you've been doing things for a for several years. I mean, you got a hell of a story behind you, and I want people to know this. But before we even do that, a big shout out to Alex Filipino, podmatch.com, which is where we got hooked up. I got hooked up with Bob. You know, we met through there. Podmatch, a fantastic platform. So shout out to, to Alex over there. So, Bob, my story always starts with an origin, just like a comic book would, right? So a little bit about yourself. Where you from originally? And, and, and go. let's go from there. All right, let's do it, man. I, I live in South Florida right now. I spent most of my okay. life here, but I was originally born in New York in Long Island. And oh, Long Island, the Empire. All right. Yes, sir. I was born up there, lived there for the first three years of my life, and my parents left the cold weather. They said, and it's not even that cold up there if you compare it to some other they part said of enough. this world. They said enough. And uh, your father just didn't want to shovel no more. He said, I'm done. Exactly. Father didn't want to shovel. <laughs> Mom was totally cool coming down to Fort Lauderdale. And so they did in the 80s. In the and 80s, I spent most okay. of my life growing up in South Florida. I went to college actually back on the island and decided it was too cold. Wait, so, so you're in Florida. You got awesome colleges here, but you you needed to go back to New York because you needed some real bagels and pizza and some good bacon, egg, and cheese, right? I know. Yes, sir. I needed some <laughs> good chicken pepperoni sandwiches. Needed, uh, you got it, man. And and uh, I wanted to wanted to hang out with my family that I never really met before or didn't know too well. So Okay, okay. And I decided so was it was that? too cold. So how was that for you, though? I mean, here you are, you know, you started growing up in Florida then, you know, from three, and then you're a teenager going to college, you know, what what college did you hit? And, and you know, what, what what were you taking in college when you, when you did that? Stuff? Yeah, I always wanted to be in communication. I mean, I was an athlete, too, so I thought some kind of sports broadcasting would be my thing. And hey. so I started off taking broadcasting courses uh, in college there at Hofstra University on Long Island, not too far oh, from New York City. And I was pumped. I loved it, man. I love talking. I love communicating like this. I mean, we didn't have StreamYard and PodMatch. And, uh, <laughs> we didn't have anything, right? Yeah. We didn't You're lucky if you had Morse code that worked that time. <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> I was sending snail mail to my friends. But so I, I did that for a short period of time. And, and uh, I got some, you know, there was a little bit of a conflict between some of my coaches in college and the, and the broadcasting uh, system and, and uh, administrators there. And so I ended up switching my major to speech communication and rhetorical mm-hmm. studies, which is a little bit more technical uh, and less broadcasting related, more just understanding how to communicate. And it ended up being a really good thing for me. And I, and I went back to studying uh, broadcast journalism when I went to grad school. And so I ended up kind of coming full circle and still having a, I actually have a master's degree in broadcast journalism oh, from wow. the University of Miami. And that was a great experience there. And, and I graduated and worked in, in sports radio for a couple of years, actually. Before I, before I recruited. So, you know, where, where did that passion come from early on for you to want to get into that field? And then also, you know, who, no one ever hears of the radio jock, be, you know, the radio jock being a sports jock. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, how did that happen, too? I mean, it's like, here you are. You're the cool nerd. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Like I mentioned, grew up. Playing sports, listening to sports radio, uh, you know, just loving communication. I, I always thought, I always felt that it was important to be able to communicate, whether it was radio, television, writing, whatever it might be. And I had a passion for it. And I, 
I've always been kind of opinionated too. I think somewhere along the line, someone told me, well, you need to kind of document these opinions. And while I was in grad school, <clears throat> I, I really wanted to do that. So I made it my business to reach out to different places and, and radio stations and figure out a way that I can get myself <laughs> in that business. And, I, and it, it kind of worked, I guess, for a short period of time. And I loved it. I really, really did. But I ended up getting recruited out of the industry into the financial world. What? But that's another story. Oh, we're going to get into that story, but that's pretty dope. And of course, who wouldn't want a loudmouth New Yorker? Come on, at the end of the day. Yeah, that's that, that's, that's sports. <laughs> exactly. So where I grew, where I was born kind of kind of led me there, I guess. If, if you're right, you know. So let me see if we're going to continue this interview. What are your teams? <laughs> I don't know how I should answer this. Uh, I, so I when it comes prefer, to football, who's your team? I, I do. I like the Giants. Thank you. Uh, hey, we're all right. So I scored. It's a wrap. Thank God. <laughs> Giants, Knicks, Giants, Knicks, Rangers, Yankees. Okay, see, the only one I can't get with is the Knicks because they disappointed me too many times. Oh, so oh, being from yeah. Brooklyn, I'm like happy Brooklyn has a team. So I said, okay, bye Knicks. I'm going with the Nets. <laughs> yeah, well, they they got a crazy, they got some craziness going on there now too. But mm. they were in, they were still in Jersey when I was developing my fandom. So I, I really yes, didn't I consider them an option. And it's New Jersey, you know. No, no offense, folks, but back then, growing up, we call, we used to call that New York's dumpster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, right. they still to this day don't like that very much. But hey, I'm yeah. only kidding, folks. I say that in jest. Lovely people in Jersey. They have family there, and I love them, mm-hmm. even though there's toxic water. But hey, that's what. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I gotta have to throw my ding. So, talking about that finance. So here you are. You're doing sports, right? You're doing this radio stuff. You're doing this in college. Even before the finance. Something happened to you, though, right? Especially during a, a very crazy time in American history, too, on top of it. Yeah, yeah. So you talked about a little bit about my degree and what I studied. To be honest with you, that was all a blur that whole period of time because because of what happened to me. I, I was in my freshman year. Before the school even started, I was in training camp to play football. And like I said, I, I was this invincible 18 year old who I didn't think could be taken. I think we're at 18. 18 we all months. think we're, we're uh, yeah, of course, man, when we're 18, nothing can stop us. Yo. Yeah. Right. You're invincible. You can't nothing no. can take you down. Right, <laughs> man. So, um, I, so the first thing that I, that I realized that could take me down at that point, or at least I thought, uh, was a groin injury. Now, I don't know if you've ever pulled your groin, but no, this is not I don't a muscle that you think <laughs> about. I mean, to be honest with you, I don't so, want to pull that. You can't walk. You can't sit down, stand up, oh. twist around. It's brutal if anyone out there has ever pulled a groin muscle. So I thought I had this groin injury for about a week, and I was doing these tra- these rehab exercises in my um, in the training room. Now, a training room on a college level is way different than a training room in high school. It's like five times the size. <laughs> it, training camps, 530, 6 o'clock in the morning. There's 100-plus people in there oh, getting damn. rehab. You know, there's doctors. There's trainers. And I was doing these exercises. Now, picture a, a stool, but instead of three feet, it's got, or three legs, it's got three wheels. So my rehab exercise is essentially to shimmy across the training room, which was a project because you're dodging people, right? <laughs> and I did, I was doing this for like a week, for 20 okay. minutes, half hour every morning. And it's tiring, especially when you think you have a groin injury. It's painful. It was not comfortable. Yeah, you're going through pain already, so this is not going to be an easy task. Yeah, no. exactly, right? And so our head trainer, who's all of like five foot six, 140 pounds soaking wet, uh, <laughs> stands up. Now, it's so loud in there in the morning. There's loud music playing. You know, you're trying to get yourself energized. The clang of weights and people instructing you and screaming yeah. at you, I guess, you know? Exactly, man. All of a sudden, but it, but at least I felt at the time, all of a sudden it went silent, like dead silent. And Rick stands up. He could never just say anything. Like he had to stand on something for anyone to be able to see him. <laughs> the soapbox. <laughs> yeah, he stands on his soapbox, whatever it is. And he yells out, Bobby. Now they called me Bobby at the time. You, what are you doing still in the training room? You can't continue to do this exercise. You got to get back on the field and practice. And that took me from this, you know, I, I guess macho, invincible dude thinking, oh, man, the, the trainer is calling me out. This is not a good sign for this yeah. little freshman kid from Florida. And I ended up telling him, listen, Rick, something's wrong. This is not, you know, it's not whatever, it's not working. So we had a, a more serious meeting. But you were, you were really honest, though, about it. You weren't trying to be, you know, in essence, macho and hide whatever you were going through. 
No, no, not at all. I was I, at this point. I was I was frustrated, but also a little like, okay, what am I going to do? Am I nervous? Or am I, you know, I didn't really think that much of it. I figured I just needed to, some some different treatment plans or processes. And he sends me to a doctor though. He goes, listen, if this ain't working, it ain't getting better. You got to go see a doctor. So I did. Al, I had every test in the book: CAT scans, ultrasounds, MRIs, you name it, X-rays, whatever. And over a period of a couple of weeks. Right, leading up to what was supposed to be my first college game, I had all these tests. I had, this, I had an appointment with a doctor on a Thursday. Okay. This day was the same day that my parents were supposed to come up for my first game, which would have been Saturday. Now, I didn't end up playing in the game. I, I, I didn't expect it at this point because I could barely walk, no less run. And I remember the doctor sitting me down, and he's like, Bobby, you have cancer. What the fuck? At 18? I was like, I'm 18. I didn't even know what that meant, really. I mean, I, you know, you know what cancer is, but I, I was just blown away. So I leave. You think this is an old people's disease? What are you talking exactly. about? Exactly. Right? And so we're ignorant then, folks. <laughs> and I was having these appointments that were like hours wow. long and tests and everything. This was like five minutes. He was like, Yeah, I got cancer. We got to figure out what to do. I'll wow. call you. You know, like it was this craziest thing. So I walk out of this appointment, and my parents had landed in the airport at the airport, and they were on their way to meet me at my uncle's house which is where we were going to meet because my family lives on the island. And I had to tell my mom, she's like, well, how'd the appointment go? And I was like, uh, mom, I, they said I have cancer. And it was like dead silence on the other side of the phone, except I could hear my dad like yelling in the background, Susan, like my mom's name is Susan. Susan, what's going on? Like he could tell something was wrong. Yeah. She probably turned pale white. Like what the hell did my son just tell me? You got it. Exactly, man. So, we get back to my uncle's house and we, we know we shed some tears. We're looking at each other, flipping out, like what's going oh my on. God. You know, I can't imagine. Like we didn't know Jeez. what to do. So a couple of days go by that, that Friday I had a bunch more meetings and doctor's appointments and everything. Wow. Now Saturday comes, which is the day of what was supposed to be my first game. Obviously I, I wasn't there yeah. and we're sitting there and my uncle's best friend comes over his house okay. and we've never met this guy before. Remember we're in Florida. And he hands his keys to my parents. It says, Bob and Susan, I don't know what, I can't even imagine what you're going through with your son right now. Take my car. You can use it for whatever you need for as long as you want. I'm sure you got tests and treatments and things to do. Wow. It was amazing. I I got goosebumps on that. Yo, what? Incredibly generous move by this guy, uh, Tim, his name was. God bless. And he leaves. 15 minutes left. Now, he was there for... 15 minutes, maybe, and just left. That was an angel, man, let me tell you. Yeah, to, to, just completely left. And we're looking at my uncle like, man, this is a nice guy. This is an awesome, what a great friend. So a couple of days go by. It's now Monday morning. Uh, I had some tests. We, we used Tim's car. I My oncologist had already recommended that I, that I don't drop out of all my classes. So I actually went okay. to my first college class on Monday morning. And we spent the whole day after that driving around. And then... Pretty normal evening, wake up Tuesday morning, go to my second college class ever. I come out and I went to the cafeteria. I was hungry. I'm sitting there eating like a breakfast burrito or something. And you, you remember those televisions uh, that were like a tube television that would hang yeah. from some brackets? Oh, yeah, I know, man. You're like, is that going to fall? Because I don't think that could hold it up. Yeah, right. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. <laughs> it's hanging in the corner of the, the ceiling there. And I'm sitting there watching and the news is on. And a plane oh. hits the Twin Towers. And I'm like, mm. whoa, that's pretty crazy. So I call my dad and I was like, hey, dad, uh, did you, you watching the news here? And he's like, yeah, I'm watching this. This is crazy. And while we're talking, the second plane hits the other Twin Tower. Nuts. And we're thinking, we're looking at like talking to each other like, what, what's going on in the world right now? My dad's like, you know, you should probably come back to your uncle's house. I don't know what's going on here. So I hopped in the car. And it's normally a 15-minute drive from Hofstra University to my uncle's house. Oh, not that day. (laughs) Not that day. You want to guess how long it took? All right. I'll tell you this. I worked on West 76th Street, right? I walked from West 76th Street to Bushwick to pick up my daughter. Wow. Okay? When we, We lived in Long Island City. So from Bushwick to Long Island City, it was really 20 minutes. Mm Mm-hmm. Dude, we were stuck around the corner from our building for three hours. 
that I said, babe, do you want me to go, go make coffee at the house and just come back with a cup? <laughs> <laughs> just just put it in park and come you back. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just co- I'll come back, you know, turn off the car. We're killing gas because we can't even get to the house. And we're literally around the corner. Yeah, it's nuts. It took me nine hours. Jesus drive. Christ! What? Nine hours. Yeah, I'll never forget it. Now, I mentioned I have a broadcast uh, degree, a master's degree, broadcast journalism. I did it for a living. I will never ever listen to nine straight hours of AM radio again. <laughs> I, I, I listened to the whole thing with the towers, you know, like smoking, like yeah. far in the distance, watching this, listening to it. And I ended up running out of gas. I didn't even make it to my uncle's house. I ran out of gas yeah. in his neighborhood, to be honest with you. Oh, so you're and, like me. You're almost there. You got empty real quick, right? Yeah. You're on the corner. <laughs> car just shut off on me. And we pushed wow. the car into my uncle's driveway. And we went in the house, and my aunt is there, and she's absolutely hysterical. Like, she's going crazy. I mean, it was a nutty day. My mama saw the second plane hit from our window in Brooklyn. Wow. Because we had a view of the Manhattan Beautiful from Greenpoint, yeah. where, we, where, where I grew we up. We saw it. So she, no, I was working. So my uh-huh. wife, we, yo, listen, our daughter was just born, you know. Mm-hmm. Basically, she's under a year old, a couple of months still. So this is all going on. And the only person that my wife could speak to is myself and my mom. And then there was that moment where my wife and my mom are speaking. And my mom is looking out the window. And she sees the second plane hit with her own eyes, not on TV. <laughs> Nuts. That's, that's unbelievable. Yeah. So, and I was listening to Howard Stern telling my job, um, something crazy is going on. I think we need to leave the city like now. They weren't listening to me. They, they, they made a decision like three hours after the fact. Wow. I'm not yeah. me. I said we should go now. <laughs> yeah, that's that's crazy. So my aunt's that. going nuts. And my uncle was on business in Denver the night before, supposed to fly home that morning. Mm. And she couldn't get a hold of him. So finally, it's like, I don't know, maybe six o'clock at night now or whatever. And she gets a call from him. Hey, I'm okay. Stuck in Denver. Thank God I'm fine. Uh, don't worry about me. Oh. But, but his best friend Tim was in the tower and died. And it was like, it was unbelievable. This guy had just come over and and an incredible act of kindness. Oh, shit. The dude that gave you the car passed. We we knew him for 15 minutes and he ended up dying on that, uh, on that, on that day. So it was needless to say, man, it was a crazy time like that. I went from thinking wow. I'm invincible on top of the world to having my life threatened and then potentially all of our lives threatened in the whole world, to be honest with you at that point. So yeah, it was a crazy, uh, crazy period of time there. And it took me, you know, I ended up, praise the Lord, I it, four months got, I had super aggressive form of testicular cancer that had spread to my abdomen, Oh, but crap. it was extremely curable. So my doctor oh. said, it's a good thing we found it. Otherwise you'd be gone, but we did. So in about four months, I recovered physically, but so let me ask you, just just for us dudes that don't go to doctors and stuff like that, and, you know, what type of pains were you feeling? That's a great. You know, I'm really glad you asked that question because not everyone does. And I, and no, I really, man. Because, hey, listen, man, I'm a dude. I got testicles, <laughs> and yeah. you know, I I need to know like if, if if something's wrong, like when when should I go? Like what are the what are the warning signs? Yeah. I, so, so the first thing I'll tell people is err on the side of go, no matter what it is, because I've spoken with a lot of different people that have different symptoms, no symptoms, symptoms oh, really? that maybe more severe, but ended up not being anything, but it was totally worth it to go. And so, so for me, the, the main thing was it, it really felt like a pulled muscle. It was sore and it hurt when I in moved. In that area. Yeah. Just in the whole area, which on 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 the side it was it was the right side so on that side it just felt like i when mm. i moved that leg or twisted or it was just really really sore like a bad pulled muscle um Jeez. if if you're if if it's super advanced i mean I, like i talked to the doctors about it if it's super advanced or in a own way you it should feel uncomfortable to the touch also okay. um i didn't experience that as much but um, if you feel like there's, it's it's not the right shape, then it's definitely a reason to go get so it. That could at. also deform. Yeah. Holy mm-hmm. smokes, bro! I'm learning here. Uh, again, I want to educate because folks, again, you know, 
we're all creatives here, right? And a lot of us are sitting down all day. And I mean, I know sitting is not good. I mean, especially for artists and writers that are sitting all day and, yeah. you, know, you know, that it's, it's, it's not healthy, man. Sitting down is death <laughs> a, a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, now, if, if you've got discomfort down there, I wouldn't mess with it at all. But especially if it feels, uh, you know, shaped incorrectly or there's a bump or, you oh know, it's gosh. raised or something like that, you definitely want to get that looked at. I don't want to freak anyone out because there's plenty of other reasons why those things can happen. But those are pretty good warning signs. Now, for me, like I said, I, I'm lucky it started hurting because I wouldn't have known it. And the doctor said it was probably been there for months already. Oh, I wow. just had no idea. And it was, it was the fact that it had worked its way up into my abdomen that caused more of the soreness. Oh, really? Yeah. So all the way up in the abdomen, but you're feeling it all the way down there. Crazy. Yeah. It just, so, so picture, so like, if you catch it early, all you all you need to do is treat that one specific area. For me, I had to go through chemo because it had spread. But like I said, because of the spreading, it created a, a larger area of discomfort, which oh, ended up being a good thing in, in, in a way. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't want anyone to spread, but thankfully it had it had to spread beyond just the lymph nodes. But there. because of that, it was also was that indicator. Let me go. Something's wrong. <laughs> get, get, get yourself checked out. Absolutely. And another... And another reason why I have all kinds of other stories about fertility as well. Another reason why you want to get those things checked out is for fertility guys. If you're a guy out there for sure, don't, don't mess around with that. Yeah, man. I mean, if you want to, you want to have kids, come on now, you know, it, it takes two, not one. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We got to keep our boys healthy, if you will. Um, yes, sir. You so, got it, man. So that's, so that's the, that's what I went through at yeah. that point. And so you talk about like my life going through all these transitions. Yeah, man. I, that, that was four months. And, and, and now you're cancer free, but you know what about the mental side of that? Because you know mental health is important. How how were you dealing with that just mentally? At the time, I I thought I was still thought I was invincible. Some crazy way, I didn't think cancer would ever beat me. <laughs> you were like I, F cancer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Before that was even the cool thing to say. Yeah. I was gonna take it down. There was nothing that was gonna stop me. It, it was basically back to athlete's mentality. I wasn't gonna lose. I was going to train harder than anyone else. I was going to work, get up, be the first one awake. And I did. I, I really treated it like I was training for the NFL combine or something. I mean, everything that my doctor <laughs> told me, I did exactly what he said. I drank the exact amount of water to the outs. I slept. I set my alarm and went to sleep at the exact same time every day for eight hours. Exactly. I ate, did, ate nothing of what he told me not to eat, like sugar and certain other types of carbohydrates. But I ate everything of what he told me to. Yeah. Um, I showed up for my appointments 15 minutes early. Um, yeah. I went to the bathroom at, on the hour when they told me to go to the bathroom when I was getting uh, saline, you know, additions to my treatments to kind of flush the body. Yeah. I had to give myself these shots uh, for 10 days after my a week of treatments were over. So I turned that into this, you know, primal scientific process so it was really me at the time so you ask how did i get through it mentally the way i got through it mentally was just powering through as if i was doing everything come to find out years later though al there were numerous other forces in my life that i that it took me a while to realize um and i couldn't have done it without them of course that's family friends mm -hmm. i mean you know, positive energy in your life, you know, it's good. I, I've lost friends to cancer and I swear it's because the doctor told them, well, you have X amount to live. And then they put this number in their brain that programs them to, to leave us in that time period. If they're not strong enough to say you're wrong. Yeah. So I don't think doctors should ever tell anyone you have X amount of time to live. Just say like, listen, let's start taking care of you. Let's not put an expiration date because I really think that that eats at people's soul and mentality. I mean, you've been through it, but you were stronger mentally, luckily, thankfully. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, my doctor ahead. was very confident with me too. He really was. I mean, he said, "Listen, this is what we got. It's going to be hard, but this is what we got to do." And he told me what to do, and I did it. I, I paid attention. I, like I said, there were other people and forces and things going on in life at the time to help me. I didn't know, but. You're right. The mental aspect of it was key for me to be confident. Gotcha. So how did this all go then? So now, you know, you were doing sports and now, you you know, you're going through this mission. You're trying to get a broadcasting and now you're in finance. What the, what, what, what how did that happen during all this? I mean, what, 
Again, you're going through all this stuff and you're segueing still. Like, yo, yeah. let me try this lane. Let me try that lane. I mean, damn, brother. It, it it's amazing how how God works and and it just the things come into your life you don't expect them. So, um, my 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 mental and emotional recovery, as I mentioned, took a couple of years, if not more. And there was a period of time there where things just kept popping up where I realized why that they happened. And you know, I, I have a podcast and I, I had my cousin on to uh, talk a little bit about his he suffers from cystic fibrosis. It's a respiratory and immune disorder. It's all, it, it affects his lungs and mucus buildup. And they've come a long, long way. But we got into this discussion about when I was going through my cancer treatment and pretty much living at the house there. And he was there as well. He's about 10 years younger than me and w- was a young boy at the time dealing with these illnesses. And we got into this conversation and I realized that he, that our parents kind of were in cahoots. Like they had this plan for us to like, we're going to spend time with each other and commiserate, even though we're both feeling like crap. Yeah. And he used to wake me up at like five o'clock in the morning to play video games. I'm like, dude, you can't wake me up this morning. I got three hours more to sleep. You know, I, I had this regimen and I, I would get a little frustrated, <laughs> but I think our parents encouraged that behavior because they wanted us to have that bond and help each other through those tough times. And that's just one example and, and that's why he's waking you up at five. He needed you, but that, that was his way to tell you, I need you right now. <laughs> yeah, no, it, totally. And so between that, my parents, my doctors, my wife, who I didn't know at the time, was in support of me. And that, that's a whole oh, other story. Oh, you didn't. Oh, too, oh, wait, 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 wait. Where did the shorty come in your life then? Hey, wait a minute. So Was, <laughs> was she a fan or something? What's popping here? That, yeah, so she came. So she came into life. We actually met on a mission trip. That's a that's a that's a cool story too. A mission trip. And you do yeah, missions? we were in service to other people, and oh we ended up God. kind of a group of us were really good friends, and we stayed in really good contact. What a good soul, man. Awesome. Yeah, she. We we stayed in contact, and and afterwards, um, like I said, a group of five of us were really really good friends, and we ended up talking and decided to you know she came down to visit. We decided to you know make it official, I guess. But we were having this conversation once. I'll tell you the story. And we were, she's from small town, Michigan. Okay. Uh, like, I don't, I hesitate to say middle of nowhere because then my in-laws might slap me, but it's, <laughs> it's a small town. Love it up there. I'll it's say really it for you. It, it's like the boon, the, the boonies, you know, as we would say in New York, like, you know, just up somewhere like, yeah, it's not it's, the city. <laughs> it's two hours. They're two hours from Detroit. The closest big city there is Bay City or Saginaw. So it's not, okay. I mean, absolute middle of nowhere, but it's in the farmland. It's 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 way different than anything I've seen in Florida or New York, okay. at least South Florida. And so we're having this conversation one day, and she's telling me about this high school that that she went to, and you know, they she might have had fifty people in her graduating class or whatever it was, and maybe a little bit more. And so she was telling me how she had this one teacher that everyone thought was a little strange at first, but he always ended up being a great friend to people. In yeah. fact, I think he just retired recently. Oh, um, awesome. So they were talking 20 plus years later, he retires. But he, she tells a story. One of the first days of class, they all get into class and she's a junior in, in, in high school. So what are you, 16 when you're a junior in high school, maybe? Mm-hmm. And he says to the class, class, all right, what we're going to do is, you know, every so often or every day or, you know, periodically, we're going to have some time and I'm going to encourage you to pray for your future spouse. And, you know, you're a 16 year old girl or boy, you're like, I don't even think thinking about marriage. Like this is not so. And then I'm just going to pray to them like blindly. What, like, what does that mean? Right. So they actually went through this process and they would do this periodically during that fall semester of her junior year of, of, of high school. And so we were having this conversation one day and this is obviously, you know, years later now. And she tells me, she's like, yeah. So I, she started telling me about her, her teacher there. And I was like, oh, so, and we figured out how old she was while she was a junior in high school. She, I'm two years older or a year and a half. I was a freshman in college. Oh. So while I was going through that whole <laughs> Treatment oh, since it was the coochie going out with a college man at the time, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. So anyway, so she was in, she was she was praying for me that whole time that I was going through that. It was just and our minds were like, like our head just exploded when when we kind of put the math together and did all that. And so between my cousin, the the, the my oncologist, who I never would have met if my other so my the sister of my cousin, so my other cousin who I was telling you about. Her, one of her best friends in school at the time, his, her dad was an oncologist 
And he ended up being my he, we never would have got in to see this guy if, if we weren't friends with him because he had a, a laundry so. list of client, you know, potential wow. cust, uh, patients. So between that, the, the time with my cousin, my wife praying for me, which we didn't even know, it didn't even know about me. Uh, my my doc, my head trainer, Rick, who I thought was just giving me a hard time making this random decision that wasn't normal to just send me to a doctor admitting that he couldn't help me, that he wasn't doing his job well enough as a trainer. Oh, so all of these things put me together. And you asked the question of how I got to where I am today. Well, when I put all that together, when all of those finally like settled in with me that I couldn't have done cancer by myself and that no matter how strong and athletic and, and young and perfect and invincible I was, that I needed other people and things in my life to be successful and to make it through. It told me that there are going to be times and a lot of times over the next however long I live, thankfully I'm even alive because I potentially couldn't have been. But as long as I'm alive, I'm going to do things to help other people. Mm. And so because whether they know it or not, and it's not about me getting recognition for them for helping them. It's about them getting the help. And they may someday realize, oh, man, Bob was really helpful. Or they may not even know who I was, who I am five years down the road. doesn't matter. So. When I went into the, when I went into broadcasting, I always had it in my mind that I was going to use that platform to make a positive impact on other people in the world. Wonderful. And I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I was going to do it. And so somewhere along the lines, uh, some of the, the business practices of the radio conglomerate that I was working for just kind of rubbed me the wrong way a little bit. And I thought, I don't know if I'm going to be able to accomplish this mission of being a positive impact to people in this role that I'm in now. Yeah. And I had a recruiter come to the office that my, the school that my wife teaches at. And I don't know why to this day, I cannot figure out why he went to a, an elementary school and that elementary, middle school, preschool to, to look for potential financial professionals. But he went into the office and he said to the ladies in the office, Hey, do y'all know anyone who wants to work in finance? And they all looked at him like, no, what are you, like, why are you here? Who wants to do that boring stuff? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're, we're all, you know, we're in education. So he, he's like, come on, you got to know somebody. Get, you know, they gave, and so they gave him my wife's phone number. He leaves a message like immediately. She's not going to answer. She's teaching her class. She comes home, says to me, hey, honey, uh, I got this phone call from this guy. Do me a favor. Just call him back. You know, be a nice guy. So I did. I, I called him and I said, hey, man, uh, flattered for this offer. I don't even know what you do, but um, I'm knee deep in my radio career. I love what I do. Uh, I'm not interested, but thank you. And, you know, he tried to talk to me a little bit. For some reason, I told him, I'll, I'll call you back in six months. Those are the words out of my mouth. That was my trigger mechanism to get him off the phone. Okay. So six months go by. That's when I started questioning the practices of the, the radio station. And so I said, you know what? My, my parents raised me to be a man of my word. I don't know why I'm going to do this, but I'm going to call this guy back. So I called him back and then he just kind of whined and dined me a little bit, took, took us out to dinner. And before you know it, he convinced me to come work in the financial world. So, yeah, so I really? went from being a radio guy to a finance guy. Holy smokes, man. It was it an easy transition for you. Uh, yes and no. Yes. Because I like change and I like to learn new things. So I was excited for sure. Okay. I mean, you I were fired up from the get like, Yeah. Yeah, no bro. Way. I tackled it like it was, uh, I hate to compare it to cancer, but it was the same mindset. Like this is going to be a challenge. I'm going to bang it out. You know, first one to the training courses, ask a million questions, take good notes and just yes. be the, you know, be the best financial planner you could possibly be. That was my thought. And so that was easy. What was hard though was th there's just a lot of, classroom work and as much as i like to work hard i, I don't i never enjoyed being a Homework. student so much and so that was challenging it was just a lot of where i went from expressing myself like on the like i could talk like this all day i enjoy expressing myself in communication but but putting it all on paper in the format of a test and and uh, achievement exams and that sort of thing was just not my thing and so that was definitely challenging but i powered through uh, a little bit less uh, selfishly, I, I, I realized I needed help in those scenarios too. So I was able to do that. And, um, you know, I, I did that for 12 years. I worked for that same company. Wow. And I owe them a lot. I mean, I learned so much about the industry. And it was great. So in so, those 12 years, is that where this baby came from with the personal finance book? 
Yes. And so uh, I I gave birth to a book, uh, amazingly. So I talk about academics. I never thought I would ever write anything, no less something that's 50 plus thousand words. And and just just so everyone knows, were you you ever in that mindset that, hey, one day I want to write something? Or is this also just a whole new, brand new challenge that just came up to your life? I, I'm glad you asked that question because I got another quick story about how this happened. Um, nice. to answer, so to answer your question on short, no, I never thought I would ever write a book for, for okay. many, many years. I did inquire maybe halfway to two thirds of the way through my career with my previous employer about writing a book because I had a lot of information, but they were very conservative when it comes to compliance and regulatory issues and they didn't uh, okay. really want to do media. So it was kind of a bad fit. Um, so when I, we decided to leave the organization, which by the way, we did on a cordial basis, I, I miss the people there. I still, I, I love working for them. I cut my teeth by, if you've ever read Mal- Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers, by his definition of 10,000 hours, I'm well more than an expert in the subject. Oh, I hear you, man. I hear you on that. People, cause I had people telling me, Al, you've been doing this since how long? I tell them the time. Is it like, okay? How many hours you put into that a week? Okay, this is the math there. He goes, and then somebody did the math for me. He's like, yo, why are you not selling yourself as an expert? Because I think that's a bougie title for me to use right now. I'm still building. Yeah. I don't <laughs> like the mindset. title either. But according to Malcolm Gladwell, you put your 10,000 hours in, you're an expert. So needless mm-hmm. to say, I put over 20,000 hours in that work. Working Ooh, with thousands upon thousands of families uh, to help them have a healthy, healthy relationship with money. But uh, the people that we were serving asked us to do some additional services that we just weren't allowed to do in that model. And we wanted to, instead of being a mile wide and an inch deep, we wanted to be a mile deep and an inch wide with a select group of families. Mm. And so my business partner and I decided to leave the organization. Once I did that, I said, you know what? Maybe I could expand my podcast a little bit. And now I might actually be able to write a book if I want to, but I wasn't totally sure. I emailed a couple, a few publishers. And to my surprise, they actually got back to me. And one of them in particular was like, well, we really like your idea for this book. Uh, How far are you along in your manuscript? And I wrote back, I don't even know what that is. (laughs) What do you mean? (laughs) I need a definition, please. So anyway, they hooked me up with with a guy by the name of Eric Custer, a leader of an organization uh, called the uh, Creators Institute. And they help people with their process of, of, of working through writing a book. He started this program at, at Georgetown University, ended up expanding it, getting a grant and offering it to just about anyone now. And he said, well, check it out. It's a Friday. So I, I got the email back from the publisher on Thursday, talked with Eric on Friday via email. And he said, get on my calendar for Monday morning at 10 o'clock. So Monday morning, 10 o'clock, we do like a Zoom chat type of deal. And he tells me all about this program. I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. And you know me, like my dive in mentality started getting excited. But then he goes, well, we start in about two hours. The first class is at noon today. And I'm like, that's crazy, man. Like, I don't, I just, I'm about to start a new business. I don't have all, you know, I don't have the time. And he said, well, just let me know. So we hung up. And I, if I would have had two days, two weeks, or any two longer than that, I would have probably said no, but I just dove right in. So how did I get into the book? I had some ideas, but I had no formal anything down. And, but when you put a time constraint on something, it's just amazing. It fresh. Like yeah. I'm a deadline writer, I guess. Like that was the way that was the impetus to get me doing it. So I did. And if it wasn't for that, that program that I just mentioned, uh, I never would have had uh, as effective a text as I think I have now. Crazy. So let me show this little trailer because you had done this on Indiegogo, but it's also available on your YouTube, you know, because you have a YouTube channel. So let's show people a little bit about what the uh, personal finance book is about, because again, great stuff. And, you know, and, and this also after this, understand why you chose that to be kind of the passion behind why because again i i I know i need help in this too (laughs) trust me (laughs) all right so let's show this awesome video my name is bob de pasquale and i'm the author of personal finance in a public world My perspective on this subject is unique because I've spent over a decade listening to families and individuals about their financial stresses. There's all kinds of great stories in the book, but three of them stick out the most to me. The first is about this little blue piggy bank I had when I was a kid. 
it taught me all kinds of great lessons about money. I can't imagine where I'd be now if I didn't have those lessons when I was younger, even though I didn't realize them at the time, they've really made a difference in my life. The second is about a friend of mine who shared a portable oven that he had just purchased because he got a new apartment. He showed me the website. I looked at it for maybe 15, 20 seconds on my phone. I went to sleep, but when I woke up the next day, that ad followed me around the internet, wherever I went, it knew I was interested in that product. And then finally, the third story is about a trip to an indigenous community that I had with a group of volunteers. We were there to help build that family a home. But what we noticed is that the emotional relationships that we developed were more important than any of the decisions we made, including the financial ones. This family was overwhelmed with joy that we were there to help. And it really didn't matter about how much money they had or what size of the house they had. It taught me a lesson that emotional well-being and mental health are extremely important to our decision processes. I'm sure you'll love those stories and the other ones. My hope for this book is that people will look at finances and technology as tools and not goals. You will love this book if you're interested in taking charge of your financial life using the most modern technology to your advantage and living a long, healthy financial life. My name is Bob DePasquale, and I'm the author of Personal Finance in a Public World. Man, I am digging it. I'm, <laughs> and that story about the home and how the emotional, wow, that's dope, man. So everything about this. I mean, why are you so passionate about helping people with their finances? I mean, what experiences led you, you know, in, in your experience in the financial to say, okay, this is it. This is the book now. This is the chapters. This is how I'm going to teach people. I mean, what were the key points in your journey, you know, that you share in this book? Well, I'm no statistical expert. I work with numbers most a lot for for a lot of my professional career. Uh, but what I noticed is that the vast majority of families that came to us in need of help with their finances were were more stressed than anything. None of the problems that they I shouldn't say none. The majority of the problems that they came to us were fixable, were not uh, life threatening, were not totally going to ruin their situation, but they were super stressed. And we served a lot of people, as I mentioned, but in my new role, we weren't going to be able to serve that many people because of the depth of the service we were going to offer. Mm -hmm. So the, one of the only ways that I felt like we can get, I can get these messages out about some of these simple uh, foundational concepts of personal finance and technology, uh, the only way to do it would be, would be to write a book. And so that was really important for me to be able to do that. And then as far as structuring the book, I knew there were three things that I wanted to talk about. Number one was finance and money. And I had the experience with that. Number two was technology. Also have a little bit of experience with that, not in a professional sense, but in my life, I use a lot of technology. And then finally, number three was like the psychological aspect of it. And I actually have a minor in psychology, but hey. that was a long time ago. Jesus, and... you hear this guy, he's been so busy getting, getting yeah, degrees I... here and there and pick. Jeez, bro. <laughs> There's a lot going on during that time in life, so I don't really remember much about the psychology. But the greatest advice that I got from the guy, Eric, that I was talking about, he said that it's not about what you know as an author. It's about what you want to know. In other words, your curiosity is what writes a good book. So the amount of research that I had to do for this book is really amazing. Like I can't looking back, I I can't even imagine doing that much effort again and you knew how to start then i mean even then or, or, or was somebody giving you steps this is how you kind of do this well that program that i went through really helped me i mean they they, they were them, not huh? going to give you content or ideas or expertise or anything but they would say you're going to need to do this if you want it to be an effective chapter or effective book and they helped me lay out the process of how I mean, I interviewed 50 plus people for this. Book. Oh, damn. Wow. So, so they have the getter done mentality without cheat, without, you know, kind of, you know, holding your hand. It's like, this is the steps. Do it. Yeah. You got to commit to going to the sessions and, and listening and, and looking at the slides and the notes and going back through things. Oh, yeah. 
to be able to understand how to do it, but you got to do it yourself. And the first couple of interviews I did were probably horrible, but you practice just like the first couple of podcasts I ever recorded. And I'm sure for you, if you go back and look at oh, even first... mine, oh my God, what a difference from, from, yeah, exactly. from my I first mean, to this 160 is in change. For right? as energetic <laughs> and as effective as you are at this point, I would imagine you weren't like that in your first recording. So oh, I was it, shy. I, yeah. I, I doubted myself so much. I, I was like, I don't, I don't know if I want to do podcasts. You know, yeah. but then I was like, you know, I got into my comfort. And when I'm able to talk to people like you that could just fire me up too, man, I'm all for it now. Let's do yeah. it. Repetition. So, yes, it was a lot of work to get through all that and work. And it's not like you write page word number one and finish on page <laughs> 300 a couple of days later. You, It's a map. You got to put it all together and figure it out. How am I going to show people? You're lucky that- if you get to the end of the page on day one. <laughs> exactly. You don't, some days you write a thousand words, some days you write four, you just don't know. And so the, the, the concept of the book is that technology and money are just tools in our life. They're, yes. no, they're, they're nothing more than that. They're very powerful tools, mm-hmm. but, and they can go in either direction. It can be negative. Money can be a very negative force in your life. And that's what I learned from a lot of those families that I worked with over the years that they're very stressed about money. And the same thing with technology. I think technology gets a bad rap a it lot does. in our in our days now because people use it as a distraction. Yeah, and, and companies... people misuse the technology and then you blame the technology. But it's like with anything else in life. Again, they give they put something good in your hands, but if you misuse it, whose fault is it then? Yeah, exactly, man. You you got it to to a T. Whose fault is it? So you got so the key is to learn how to use the things in positive yeah. fashion. So I, my belief, and you saw a little bit in the video, is that if we can use technology to help us have a good relationship with money, yes. Yes. psychologically, we'll be in a much better place. Our lives and the other relationships in our life will be better. We'll live a more fulfilled, happy life. And that's what the book's all about. I love it, man, because again, you know, that's one of my key points of stress. You know, you know, I'm a family man, day job. I'm the only person working right now. We even looking to get a home, but it's not easy when you have a one family income <laughs> to, to 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 get a loan. Because here they are, sure that's the American dream, but they don't make it easy. No, it's it. I, I can never say it's easy. It takes a lot of hard work at times. But one of the concepts we talk about in the book is decision fatigue, and Ooh. that and the stress that I saw that families get into was is easily solvable. Simply by making these simple, easy decisions and you know, certain things related so, to budgeting and spending, make them consistent and and not decisions anymore, but habits. And then when the the, the okay. big things come out, you know, the air conditioning breaks down, the car breaks out. You, you know, my wife and I right now we're working on getting a new roof for our house. That's not no easy. Experience. Oh, that's not cheap either. And I'm in Florida either, kid. I'm I'm in Central Florida in Orlando, so I understand. Oh yeah, so you know. <laughs> So, you know, but what happens if you get married, you have a kid, God forbid someone dies, uh, people go through divorces, things that some of them are unexpected, whether or not, but when they're big things in your financial life, those are the things that you want to spend mental energy on because they deserve that time and they need that time so you can make a wise decision. But some of those other little small things, technology can make them so easy, automated, and you can develop good habits. And that way you're not overly stressed and you don't have to knock on my door or call me up and say, hey, Bob, I got this emergency. I need you to help me now. Help me, Bob. I'm dying. I'm sinking. And it's very, very challenging. It's very, very challenging. Um, Is there a common theme that you have seen amongst the families you've helped that has been kind of the biggest problem, you know, that that needs to be faced and taken care of? Communication. I hate to to say... I hate to say, you know, use the thing that I studied for, you know, in college, but I've always believed communication to be important. And I think it's just as important when families and money and, and relationships. And so um, I talked about the stresses that people have around money. That's because they, they don't have good habits and they don't communicate it about it. Right. It's totally yes. okay if to go out to dinner occasionally. It's also okay to buy each other gifts and people in the family. You want to, you know, want to do nice things for your kids. I get that. But if exactly. there's no we work, you know, for us, you know, we work for a living and we you know we want to make people in our lives happy, you know, after we pay yeah. our bills. But we also got to save, which is a problem I know within my community. You know, we're big spenders. <laughs> sure, you I know? hear you. I hear you. And and the world tells us to spend more. Yeah, they there's, do. The, 
I mentioned that one of the stories in the video that you mentioned about my buddy and the and the the ad that chased me around the internet. I mean, I could, I could, <laughs> my phone probably still remembers that I looked up that oven. And my so, brother, you and me both, man, I get the weirdest things on my phone. Like, well, I looked this up on my desktop just for like a moment because somebody told me to look at it. But next thing you know, it's like, buy it, Al, buy it. No, yeah. I don't want it. Stop it. <laughs> it knows, man. It knows. Yeah, this is great conversation. You fired me up about this subject because I don't think it has to be that stressful for people. In fact, it I know doesn't. it doesn't. I've seen the ones that have. Um, I saw a, a, a rideshare driver, and I, I compare a rideshare driver. This is a real a true story. And a, a gentleman who worked for a, an audio production company. And the rideshare driver, I mean, you, you know, you got to work a lot of hours to make, to make money yeah. uh, driving Uber and Lyft. And they, this gentleman and another gentleman were about the same age and they, you know, twenties, maybe mid, late twenties. And they were, and the other gentleman worked for this audio production company, just got a promotion to some kind of manager position, making twice, if not more, as much as the other guy. And they both had a similar amount of debt. And the one guy committed to it, created a system and habits mm. and did all the calculations followed, followed what we said. The other guy got another promotion. It was making an additional $15,000 a year, but ended up being in a worse scenario a year later. And that told me right there that it's really, it's about committing to those habits and it is putting those systems in your life. That's it. That's it. And then, and then, it, and then it all, everything else comes from there. Um, I love the advice on the internet about different things about insurance and investments and obviously cryptocurrency, there's a whole chapter in the book. But how do you feel about crypto? Because here you're talking about, again, within the personal finance, the technology space, you know, as part of that personal finance. How do you feel about the blockchain, NFTs, crypto, all that stuff? I think it's fascinating. And there's, like I was saying, there's all of those things are really, really interesting. But you got to have the foundations down first. I don't care if you know every last thing about Bitcoin, Ethereum, blockchain, NFTs, decentralized finance, all fascinating. Um, you got to have the basics first. That's yes. that's the key. How do I feel about them in general? I am fascinated by it. I love modern technology. I, I mentioned it by me this. Both. I think it's interesting. I think everyone should have a basic understanding of how how decentralized finance works. Which Digital you know, currency works. Yeah, man. Yeah, I mean, what, what, in layman's terms, digital yeah. currency, folks. <laughs> yeah, D digital currencies. And, and what decentralized finance means, the current monetary system that we're in is called a fiat system. There's a central bank in, in America and with the U.S. dollar is the yeah, world reserve currency. Fed, yeah. Every, you can buy just about anything in U.S. dollars. And so they control the money system. You heard, if you ever heard the Federal Reserve going through meetings and Jerome Powell, he's the chair, and I don't want to get too much in the weeds, but they can determine really how much money is actually in the system. If yeah. your dollar is worth more or less by the, by the different levers they, they pull. They could devalue us or value us in, in a heartbeat, folks. Exactly. And that's centralized finance. <laughs> scary. There's a central system that controls it. Decentralized finance is what blockchain and cryptocurrency promotes because then there is no one entity that controls everything. It's all private and you control your own supply. Yeah, with, with so transactions what, yeah. that you could see and, and know who did what when, you know, via the transaction and, and, and the, uh, the, the, the ledger, if you will. Yes. And that's what, that's a, that's a great word, Al. That's what blockchain, at least from, from a money perspective is. It's a simply an electronic yeah. ledger. Yep. Yep. yep like yep. when my mom, who used to work in a bank, would balance a checkbook and write the deposits in and out by hand <laughs> of her savings account. This is doing that. Bro, I think I must have been on the last high school class that taught you how to do that manually. Because yeah. in the next year, everything went to computers in high school. I was like, damn. Even though I passed that class with flying colors, I'm like, I wish I had the computer. I wouldn't have learned the program right now. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, I, I love the blockchain stuff. I, I, don't, I can't predict that that's going to take over and be the, the money system in the, the world principle. anytime soon. It is in some countries that have decided to make it a little bit. How do you feel about that tender. though? How, you know, again, coming from that finance world too and everything and writing books like this, how do you feel about a country adopting, you know, this new technology and do you think that's something that's viable? Is it safe or should people stay with the standard dollar for now and just keep learning? I, I think everyone should first of all, have an understanding of what it is because it, it, it's fascinating to think of a new money system. And if we ever make a more serious transition, 
you're going to want to know what it is. And if Especially to a world economy, right? Which the yeah, one I think I think at worst case scenario right now, especially Bitcoin, because it's the most established form of cryptocurrency, it's not going anywhere. It's going to be some sort form of investment class at the very least where you could put money into it to try to make more U.S. dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other end of the spectrum, it could potentially become the, the currency of the world, the which facto, means that... Man you're going to want to, then you're really going to want to know what it is. So I think people should absolutely not be afraid of it, right? I'm not, you don't need Bitcoin right now to survive, especially if you're retiring or anything like that. So there's no need to have it. It's not, we're not at that point yet. So I would not tell anyone that you must have it, but I would tell for a lot of people, especially younger people that have a long time horizon, having a portion of that in your investment portfolio, if you're at the point of investing, um, is a wise idea, considering that it, it could it could be very very important in the future. But we're at the very early stages. I mean, think yes, about it. It's only been around for a, a decade, a little bit more. That which it's is still nothing. a baby. Yeah, it's still a baby. It's not even in his teen years yet. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, but love so, to talk about it. it, it and it, and and from a personal and like a moral perspective, um, I really do believe in the concept of decentralized finance and allowing. I mean, for, for, for me and you and for most of the people like in the United States, they have access to yeah. what it gives us a fighting chance of some wealth. Exactly. But there's some play, there's some people in other countries that that's the only way they can keep their money from the government. So yeah. it's a different it's a different world in other places. So I, I believe strongly in the mission of it. Gotcha. So hopefully we'll find something you know, that, that that common base where everybody could learn and enjoy profit and, you know, hopefully change the world and let's bring on this world economy. Now, I think that's what we really need, you know, and I hope with the unity, (laughs) you know, but of course, you know, again, and with the blockchain, you know, it won't be a small percentage controlling the wealth either, which would be great. Um, Yeah. Hopefully. I mean, as it is right now, they they say the rich get richer, but for the most part, the system is designed for people that are able to, to have leverage with their money. And if you're living paycheck to paycheck, you can't do that. There's no leverage. Yeah. Yeah, you can't use, uh, you know, a lot of people will have a mortgage in their life, but that's it. You know, most people are not making money off off of making money or, or making money off their money. And that's hard yeah, to man. do. It's very hard. So, I mean, th- that's the goal for everybody. So, my brother, you've been an amazing guest, brother. Uh, you're, you, the, the gems you're dropping, the passion, your energy. Dude, you're, I want to have you come back on. I think I'm going to do the Crusader Con this year, and I think I'm going to come back on or talk some more finance and educate some people because, yo, bro, I love how you talk in here, brother. I love the energy, and I see that your spirit is genuine and wanting to help. So last people's advice that you would leave anyone, you know, again, you know, why, why, why do they need this book in this life, and where can we buy it? <laughs> you can check it out on Amazon, The Personal Finance in the Public World, How Social Media Technology and the Ad Space Affect Our Money Decisions. Amazon's the best ways to get it. You can get it on Kindle. There's an ebook version. Totally, totally easy to pick it up there. Just can we visit it. your website too, right here? In, in yeah. Hit, uh, so, so hit bobdeepasquale.com if you want to look for my social links or you want to shoot me a message or, or see my blog and, and, and learn about the book. The other website, initiateimpact.com is my company. So if you have personal finance or family finance and business questions more directly yeah. related to, to, to money, then hit, hit me there. And we'd love to help you out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the book is really designed to help people de-stress around money and technology and use it for a positive force. Well, great, man. I'm going to put this on my shelf. And um, hopefully, are you going to be doing any any book signings anywhere anytime soon so I could get an autograph on this bad boy? Yeah, I mean, I, so listen, <laughs> if, 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 if you, someone purchases my book, I'd be more than happy to autograph it for them. Uh, as of right now, because of the, the pandemic, I don't have any in-person scheduled signings. Mm-hmm. I, I had a couple... Uh, Zoom meeting type of virtual signings. I'm trying. I'm working on a couple of the local bookstores here to do it. But Excellent. if you if you want me to travel to your town, I would be more than happy to come talk about it, what it is that I do, and and the message of the book, and sign some books. Would love to. There you go, folks. You better follow the big homie Bob. You know, I've been checking this, uh, sharing his website. You go to bobdickpasquale.com. Go to initiateimpact.com again if you're looking for some help. Uh, please follow Bob on social. On the Twitter and Instagram is at Bravo Delta Echo Papa A B D E P A and at LinkedIn at Bob D Pasquale. Check it out. You won't regret it. Homie has wonderful energy. I mean, he's here to help us on some real business. So, kiddo, thank you again for joining me, hanging out on the Comic Crusaders podcast, educating us, firing us up to really learn 
about saving some dollars and you know and the future, bro. You are amazing. God bless you on your journey. Thank you for what you do, bro. Oh man, pleasure, man. Have a great one. Everybody, until la próxima. You know what to do. That I just said it all. Later. Thank you for listening to the Comic Crusaders podcast. If you like the content, please subscribe and turn on notifications. Also, please visit ComicCrusaders.com and our extended podcast family over at UndercoverCapes.com. And also, make sure to download the Comic Crusaders app on the Google Play Store today. 